Loving God, again, as we continue to study the subject, we pray for your leading, and thank you for hearing us in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. We're talking about conviction, and we're talking about the reality that the Spirit of God convicts people's hearts, but the only way that you can tell that this, that, that is happening it's not because you're able to see the Spirit, but you're able to see the results of the Spirit of God working, or as we said, the wind blowing. When the wind blows, the trees move. And so it's important then for us to get to the place where we develop the ability through the gift of the Spirit to detect and see whether or not there's any motion. All right? As I stated, in the secular world, uh, there are devices, and even uh, you've heard of lie detecting tests and things like that. Uh, there are devices that seek to ascertain what's happening inside uh, by what's happening outside. And so, if you begin to sweat as they're asking you questions, if you get to get nervous, your heart begins to race fast, all those things are indicators that something is happening up here. Do you understand what I'm saying? And so, while we cannot be the, the readers of the heart, we cannot read the mind, and no man can read the mind, we can read the responses as to what's happening. Does that make sense to you guys? All right. Now, conviction then shows up itself, and in order for you to recognize conviction in others, you have to yourself experience conviction. Okay? Number one. Uh, it means that you're personally acquainted with it. Number two, you learn how it works. Number three, what are the indications it is present? And number four, once recognized, what must be done to facilitate its maturation to a decision? Okay? So in other words, a person, in order to recognize conviction in others, must be able to uh, experience themselves conviction. If I were to ask you, how many of you have felt convicted, what would be your response? How many of you have felt conviction? All right. But I have to say this, that even though you felt conviction, all of us did not feel conviction for the same thing or at the, or at the same magnitude or level. Okay? So we become acquainted with it. We know, we know that it actually works. Um, then the indications, and then what need, we need to do to help that. So, notice it says, every fresh display of what? The conviction of the grace of God upon the souls of unbelievers is what? Divine. So, if it's a fresh display, all right, then it's something that I can see. Yes or no? Yes. All right. And what's encouraging about this is this. Since it is a fresh display, it indicates that divinity is working. Which excites me. Like I said about the girl named Ramona in the Philippines in the last class, that when I saw the tears coming up and I saw her fighting against it, then I rejoiced. She didn't understand my rejoicing. She thought I was making fun of her. You understand what I'm saying? So when I said to her, oh no, it's just wonderful to see how the Spirit of God works in people's hearts. Then she cried the more because then she recognized that I recognized that something was happening inside. Okay? So, every fresh display. Now, here's another statement. Christ is the what? The source of every right impulse. Notice it says, He is the source of every right impulse. He is the only one that can implant in the heart enmity against sin. Every desire for truth and purity Every conviction of our own sinfulness is what? An evidence that the Spirit is moving upon our hearts. Had a person come to me and say, I'm afraid I've committed the unpardonable sin. I asked him, I said, are you really concerned about it? Oh, yeah, I'm really troubled. I said, then you're okay. 
Hey, what do you mean I'm okay? Every conviction of our own sinfulness is a what? It's an evidence that the Spirit is moving upon it. So sometimes what, the, what happens is when you feel convicted about sin, the devil then makes you feel that God won't accept you. When in reality, you're in the best position to be accepted. That's good news, what do you say? Amen. And it's exciting also that as you work with people and you see these evidences, you realize that you're right in the presence of divinity. And that's an exciting thought, what do you say? Amen. So, when I work with people, and I'm talking to them, and I'm watching them, and I see the evidences that the Spirit of God is present, it excites me. They may not be too excited. They may be upset, but it, it excites me. Why? Because the wind is blowing. The what? The wind is blowing, see? And that person is in a better position to yield to God at that moment than they think. Because there's divine influence there in their lives. Alright? Now, we need to look for those visible indicators. The what? Visible indicators. We cannot see the Spirit, but we can see the visible indicators. Alright? Now, Notice that there are two lists of indicators. Notice that there's positive and what else? Negative. Okay? Now, most people do not have difficulty with the positive indicators. Where most people have difficulty is in the area of the negative indicators. So let's deal with the positive first. Alright? When a person is convicted, how many of you have felt conviction and joy was the response? Any of you? Yeah, I mean, sometimes the Spirit of God just uh, brings some thought to you that just brings joy to you, right? A new re realization that God loves you, or something that warms your heart up, okay? Sharing and telling others. Many times I've seen people who come to my meetings who are quiet, etc., and before long they begin to talk to others and share with others. That is an awakening of conviction in their hearts. They may not understand what's happening, but that's what's taking place, okay? Tears of joy. Sometimes people, when they're convicted, they begin to, to uh, rejoice and have tears of joy. By the way, did you know, medically speaking, that there are two kinds of tears? Did you know that? Chemically speaking, when you cry, your tears have a different chemical composition than when you rejoice. So when you have tears of joy, they're different than tears of sorrow. Did you know that? Well, now you know the rest of the story. Okay. Now, can't stay away. You've had people who come to your meetings, and at first they're kind of aloof, kind of standoffish, they don't want to get too close, but as they continue to attend the meetings, they become open, etc. You know, you know what I'm saying? And they can't stay away. I've had people like that. They first come, they sit way in the back, they're not too sure what this is all about, and pretty soon they're coming every single night. Well, they can't stay away. Lighting up a face. How many of you have ever seen, or you yourselves, all of a sudden your eyes open up wide and you realize, oh, I didn't understand that before. Okay? When that happened, bing, it hit. Okay? Then you have, uh, becomes friendly, begins to ask questions, begins to study, has a positive attitude change, lifestyle changes, restitution, peace, pray about it. I remember I was having a meeting in, Boston, in uh, Baltimore, actually it was Reisterstown, which was close to Baltimore, and the individual who came, he was a young black man, and every night he came, you can hear him say, Amen. Yeah, the, one of those bass voices, you know. Amen. So, he had no prior contact. There's nobody that knew him in the church. I went to see him. When I got to his home, knocked on the door, he opened the door. The speaker of the meeting comes to see me? I said, yes, of course, why not? Um, come right, no, no, he said, uh, 
wait a minute, my house is a mess. I said, I'm not a house inspector. <laughs> he said, all right, come on in. I get into the house. In the living room, there's a stack of video cassettes right in the middle of the living room. So climb over it, you know, and sit down on the couch. We begin to talk, and I'm curious about the stack of uh, video cassettes. So I begin to ask questions like I asked uh, of uh, uh, Drew, and uh, as, we, as we kept on conversing, finally I, I wanted to find out what, what's he doing with that stuff. So I said, by the way, what's that in the middle of the living room? And he kind of began to feel a little bit uh, uncomfortable. And he said, well, preacher, he said, uh, since I've been coming to your meetings, uh, my Lord is not happy with me. No, he said, my Lord ain't happy with me uh, looking at stuff any longer. I said, oh, why is that? He said, don't ask any question, preacher. If my Lord is not happy with me watching that stuff and I'm throwing them out. Okay? So that's a positive what? Attitude change. What do you say? So what did that tell me? Was the guy convicted? Yes or no? Oh, yeah. In fact, uh, I baptized him. See? So, you see these things happening, and that tells you then that, that these people are candidates. Why? Because the Spirit of God is moving upon them. All right? Are you hearing what I'm saying? All right. Now, let's go to the negative, uh, negative changes or indicators. Sorrow. Some people, when they're convicted, they feel sorrow. Rejection. Some people begin to what? To reject. Then you have argument. Have you had people argue with you? Yeah, people begin to argue. Then, tears of sorrow, as I mentioned. There are people who become sorrowful. And sometimes they do so because they recognize that they know God is speaking to them, but yet they don't want to yield. Okay? There are things that they think they would have to give up, etc. Avoidance. People begin to avoid you. Anger. People actually get angry. Resistance. They begin to resist. Objections. Refusal to study. Negative attitude changes. Rebellion. Denial. Restlessness. Irritable. Okay, so let's consider some of these. Let's look at anger, for example. I can give you some, some illustrations. Um, one that comes to my mind that's in the book is about a lady who was attending my meetings. Uh, she looked a little bit like uh, Donna McNeilis. <laughs> and, but she was a little bit more vocal than Donna. She would say, Amen, brother. She had blonde hair, blue eyed. And uh, she was uh, one of these ladies that had moved, they call them snowbirds, so they had moved down from uh, New Jersey down to Florida. And uh, they had their businesses before, so they, they were pretty well off. She was bringing her sister and her brother-in-law and her husband to the meeting. And she got the, to know about the meeting by getting a handbill in her, uh, what we call in Australia, her leather box. Anyway. She would sit toward the back with her family uh, almost all the time in the same row. And you could hear her say, Amen, brother! Preach it! And then one particular night, I didn't hear one amen. I was preaching about Christian standards. And when I got off, I usually go to the back door to try to sense how the people are responding by shaking their hands and kind of feeling their pulse. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> so, as I was uh, walking out, another lady stopped me. She was about the third road, and she said, Pastor, can I speak to you for a moment? Well, I'd stop. She said, praise the Lord. She said, Pastor, i got to confess to you that uh, tonight I'm liberated. Just praise God for that message. I said, what are you liberated from? She said, I've been addicted to jewelry. She said, every, I got a chest full. Every drawer is full with, with rings and necklaces and bracelets, you name it. She said, I, no matter where I go, I got to buy the stuff. 
But she said, tonight I am free. Praise the Lord, she said. She said, I only got one problem. I said, what's that? She said, my husband this morning surprised me with a diamond necklace. And I'm going to have to figure out a way to tell him I'm not wearing that anymore. So, I rejoice. Which side would she be in? The positive or negative? Positive. positive. So then I walk out to the door, and my Bible worker says to me, man, am I glad you didn't get here any sooner. I go, oh, what's that? He said, the lady was waiting for you. And what does she want? Well, she left this message. When I get a hold of that black hair, beady eye preacher, I'm going to smack him in his face. Negative? <laughs> what was that? Negative? <laughs> so where was she? Positive or negative? Negative. All right. <laughs> black hair, beady eye preacher. Those are fighting words, aren't they? <laughs> well, was she convicted? Yes or no? Yes. How many of you say yes? yes? How many of you say no? How many of you don't know? How many of you don't want to raise your hand? Now, she's convicted. You remember what I said before? Great conviction, great reaction. Little conviction, little reaction. Okay? Understand what's, what's happening. She's come every single night, and how's she responding? Positive. Positive. Is she enjoying the meeting? Yes. And she's bringing, she's dragging her husband. Her husband didn't want to come, but she kept on dragging him, okay? So, she's excited about what she's hearing. She told me almost every night, man, I never knew things like that. She said, I'm learning here things uh, that I've never, never, she said, in fact, I've learned more in these last three weeks in these meetings than I've ever knew about the Bible all my life. So how is she responding? Positive. Positive. Then all of a sudden, negative. negative. Okay? Great conviction, great reaction. All right? So now she's convicted. What, are you, what do you do? I got to go and see her. That was Saturday night. Sunday morning, I'm at the door. I knock at the door. And the husband comes to the door. And he said, Reverend Torres, what are you doing here? I came to see your wife, I said. You crazy? <laughs> Just like that. And I said, well, I need to see her. He said, all right, man, you're on your own. <laughs> and he left. I mean, he literally left the door open and left the house. <laughs> so I thought I was going into the lion's den. You understand what I'm saying? So I go inside. And trying to get myself orientated. And here's some noise over here. So it's a little room. And as I enter in, sure enough, there she is. She's cleaning the, the deck in the kitchen. See? And uh, so I'm standing there waiting for her to notice me. And she's, all of a sudden she came around and she saw me. I'll never forget. She said, Ew! Just, just like that. And she began to scream. That lady was livid. She was upset. And she began to tell me all sorts of things that would happen to me. What I did to her. So I said, what are you so upset about? She said, what do you mean what I'm so upset about? You know what you did. I said, no, I'm sorry. I, I don't know what. Yes, you do. And I said, well, what did I do? How could you embarrass me in front of all those people? I said, I embarrass you in front of all those people? She said, yes, how could you do that to me? You know I was the only one wearing jewelry. So I asked her, I said, did I point at you? No. I said, did I call your name out? No. I said, so if it wasn't me, then who was it? And then she stopped. <laughs> And she said, God. Her whole countenance changed from anger to awe. Okay, God. And I said to her, Pat, I would never have done that to you and virus in front of people. I said, obviously what's happened is that the Spirit of God has spoken to you directly. 
because this is what happens to people, I said. You may be in the midst of a million people, but when God speaks to you, you feel as if though He's only speaking to you. Is that the way it works, guys? Yes or no? Yeah. When the Spirit of God speaks to you, He is putting His finger on your particular need. And the reason for that is because He wants to give you victory. God never convicts without providing the healing. What did I say? God never convicts without providing the healing. So when you feel conviction, then rejoice. Because it means that God's about ready to give you the victory. Okay? Well, she didn't understand that. Now, why is that? Because most people do not know what conviction is. And since most people don't know what conviction is, what happens is that when they feel troubled, they assume that you are the one that's troubling them. Okay? So who do they blame? Who is she blaming? Me. See? So, that's the problem. Most people do not know what conviction is. Look, look at the Nicodemus. What, what's his response? How can these things be? Let me ask you a question. Uh, when Nicodemus said to the Lord that the, a man have to go back into his mother's womb and come back out again, was, was, that, was that a response that was seen genuine or was that a response out of frustration? He was actually convicted but didn't understand conviction. That's why Jesus had to go through all those points and help him to understand as the Spirit moves, uh, as the wind blows, so the Spirit moves. Okay? Notice, Nicodemus was a leader in Israel, yet he had no knowledge of the workings of what? Of the Holy Spirit. Here's another. Acts chapter 19, verse 1 through 5. In Acts chapter 19, Paul comes across certain disciples. And he asks a question. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you what? Since you believe. What was their response? We have never even heard whether there be such a thing as what? All right, now think about it. Did John the Baptist believe there's a Holy Ghost? Yes or no? Yes. Yes or no? Yes. How am I saying no? How am I saying yes? How many of you don't know? All right. John said, Upon whom the Spirit descends, he it is. For John the Baptist believed there was a Holy Spirit. Okay? But these are disciples of John. And what, what do they say? We have never even heard would there be any Holy Ghost. So is it possible then for a Luther to be a man who understands the Spirit of God, but Lutherans not to even know that it's the Holy Spirit? Yes. Is that possible? Is it possible for your dad to have been converted and you have never experienced conversion? Is that possible? Yes. Huh? Do you understand what I'm saying? In other words, is it possible then for, for a person to, to, to have experienced the Spirit of God in their lives and for somebody close to them never even sense that there's any such thing as the Holy Spirit? And so you see that with, with John's uh, disciples. Notice then, they were believers, they had been baptized under John's baptism, they were disciples, but they did not know there was the Holy Spirit. So think about it then. There are a lot of people who are religious, but do not know there's the Holy Ghost. When I was a Catholic, we always said in the name of the Father, the Son, and what else? The Holy Ghost. But, unfortunately, I knew nothing about the Holy Ghost. Because that was only a phrase. A what? A phrase. In other words, we were never taught anything about the Holy Spirit. We were taught something about Jesus, but mostly about Mary. Okay? But, I, I knew in order Padre, el Hijo Espíritu Santo. You see? So, we knew how to cross ourselves and what it meant. But we did not know who the Holy Spirit was. We were never taught that. And most people in, in religions do not understand how the Spirit of God works. If you are a Jehovah's Witness, you're taught that the Spirit of God is an essence, a current, not a person. So, I was studying with a lady in Albuquerque. She was a, a Jehovah's Witness for 35 years. And we studied about the Holy Ghost. 
And when I read to her passages from the Bible concerning the Holy Spirit, she began to cry. And she said this to me, or she posted in the question, is that why I have been feeling uncomfortable about my religion all these years? And she cried. She said, you mean all this time I have been resisting the Spirit of God? And I said, well, you did so ignorantly. But I said, how about now? Do you want to give your heart to God now? Will you accept the Holy Spirit into your life? She said, most definitely. We knelt down and prayed together. And she saw me later on that evening. She said, Pastor, I cried as a baby when you left my home. I cried for two reasons. Number one, because I didn't realize that I was rejecting the Spirit of God all this time. And number two, because God's Spirit was so patient with me that He waited all these years for me to come to Him. All right? So people don't know. And then when people become charismatic, you hear what I'm saying? Then they really become confused about the Holy Spirit because, because they think that the Spirit is some current, some power that comes over them and takes over them and controls them. Therefore, they are more liable to not know who the Spirit of God is because they think it's a controlling power that comes over them. Okay? Now, that doesn't mean that the Spirit of God can do that. But it is evident from many experiences that people are just moved to roll, to do all sorts of things. I was in one particular setting where when the Spirit of God came upon people, they went around kicking the benches and doing all sorts of wild things in the church. And there are some people who think that the Spirit of God, when He comes upon you, you bark like a dog or you, you, uh, you laugh uncontrollably. Okay? So, when people yield to those extremes, then they really don't know who the Spirit of God is. Okay? So, if people don't know what the Spirit of God is, then they assume that the one that's troubling them is the human agent. Is who? The human agent. And the devil leads them to interpret conviction into something called guilt. And the thing is this, that when you're convicted, if you yield to it, then the conviction becomes an experience in your life. If you don't yield to it, then it becomes guilt in your life. And so what the enemy tries to do when the person is guilty, feels conviction, is that the enemy tries to keep him from yielding so that he begins to feel guilt. Do you understand? And if he can keep them from understanding how the Spirit of God works, then he assumes that you are the troubler. Who? You. Okay? So this lady wanted to beat me up because she thought I was the one who embarrassed her in front of all those people. But I'll tell you what. Once she, understood, once she said God, then I studied with her about the Holy Spirit because I wanted her to understand how the Holy Spirit worked. And once I did that, praise God, she was baptized, her sister was baptized, her brother-in-law was baptized, and her husband, they were still working on him. Okay? But let me ask you the question. Suppose I had not gone to see that lady. Would she have come back to the meetings? No. no. Would I have lost her? Yes. yes. Okay. So when conviction strikes and people don't know there's a Holy Spirit, they assume you are the troubler and therefore you have to go and help that person out. Okay. Even if they may take it out on you personally. Usually that's what happens. Avoidance. Uh, people who, who uh, can't yield uh, avoid. Look at this statement concerning the Roman officer in, in, when Christ was being crucified. Notice it says, the Roman officers were silenced and subdued. Their hearts, though what? What's the term there? Strangers, strangers to what? Divine influences. So are there people in our midst who are strangers to divine influences? What's the answer? Yes. Do we have friends that are strangers to divine influences? Now, you may be a Christian, they have not the foggiest idea why you're a Christian. They just know you're odd and weird. Is that true? They just think, oh, he's a weirdo. It's just that they don't understand. They're strangers to divine influences. That's why the Bible says spiritual things are what? Spiritual discern. Okay? Very important. Now, what happens in this whole uh, dynamic is this. 
that as the Spirit of God speaks to you, remember the Bible says, when He has come, He will convict the world of what? Sin, what else? Righteousness, what else? Judgment. Judgment, okay, those three things. Now, what happens is, it happens simultaneously. When the Spirit of God brings something to your attention, He is convicting you what's right, that's righteousness, what's wrong, sin, judgment, the decision or the judgment that needs to be made between right and wrong. So when the Spirit of God is speaking to you, you are placed in a position where you have to determine or make a decision between right and wrong. Okay? So when that's happening then, does the devil want you to yield? What's the answer? So if he doesn't want to make you uh, let you, to, if he doesn't want you to yield, then what he does is that he tries to do everything so that you don't yield. For example, Satan strives to direct the attention to the human agent. He seeks to lessen the conviction by attempting to place the holy on a what? Now, so if the person's convicted that it's me, then I can be rejected. See, I'm just a uh, black-haired, beady-eyed preacher. You understand what I'm saying? All right. Now. The light of Christ sweeps away the darkness that covers their sins. Notice it says, the need of reform is made what? Manifest. While those who yield to the influence of the Holy Spirit begin to war with whom? With themselves. Okay? So, if the Spirit of God is speaking to you and you yield, you begin to war with yourself. But if you don't yield, then it says, those who cling to sin, war against the truth and its representatives. There you go. So if you have no uh, understanding of the Holy Ghost, all right, and you think as a human agent, then Satan leads you to reject it and you begin to fight against the truth and its representative. That's why you have people who argue with you about the Sabbath or argue with you about this or argue with you about that. If they're arguing, it's simply that there's a, a sense of conviction that there's something right about it and they're not in a position to accept it. All right, so let's do avoidance. Uh, I had a young girl that I was... I was uh, uh, teaching how to be a Bible worker and uh, she was standing with a girl that she brought to the church and the girl was attending the church, participating in the church, etc. And then for some reason she couldn't find the girl at home. Every time she would go and knock at the door but she was not at home. So she came crying to me. She said, I think I lost her. I said, what's the matter? I can't seem to contact her. I said, well, she's avoiding you. Which means she's under conviction. Oh, from what do I do? I said, in those days there were no cell phones. So I said to her, look, go next to, the, to her house, find a public phone booth, call her phone number, and when she answers, don't answer. Hang up, quickly run to her door and start knocking. <laughs> so that's what she did. She went to a, 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 found a public phone booth, I called her, the girl answered, she hung up, ran upstairs, started knocking on the door. The girl wouldn't answer. And I said, just, just tell her, you know she's inside. So she kept on knocking, 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 and she said, I know you're inside. And the girl finally came and opened the door. <laughs> Long story short, she made her decision and was baptized. Okay. Uh, let me tell you another situation. I was in Australia, and there was a, I was preaching about the, the beast that night, and the mark of the beast, at the weekend. It was Sunday, Saturday and Sunday. And when I finished the second presentation, there was a, a large man that was sitting at, on the uh, aisle. And he was the only man still left in the church. It's, it's uh, the Warunga Church, which is a large, large church. It's the division headquarters church in, in uh, Warunga, Australia. Anyway, so I went, I could see from the back, his shoulders were kind of doing this, you know, and his head was bowed. So I thought that he was what? So I went up to him and said, uh, Brother, are you okay? I said, uh, can I help you? So he got up and I said, do you mind if I pray with you? So I had prayer with him. And I said, I'd like to visit you. And so he left. 
So the next day, I said uh, to the intern, I said, we need to visit the, uh, the gentleman. Oh, which gentleman? Yeah, that big, tall fellow that was crying. Oh, we can't visit him. So why not? So I called him up. And uh, he said he has family problems not to come over. I said, why did you call him? He said, well, that's what you do here in Australia. You call for an appointment. I said, well, you shouldn't have done that. He said, well, you know, Elder Torres, this is not America. This is Australia. I said, well, I wish you hadn't called him. I said, so uh, who did he, what did he say again? So he said, he said, don't come over. I said, who did he say that to? He said, me. I said, OK, you don't go. I go. <laughs> so no, 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 I better go with you. So I went over there, and the car was parked in the driveway. The blinds were pulled. So I began to knock on the door. He wouldn't open. You know, silence inside, you know what I'm saying? And I kept on knocking, and that, that young man who was with me began to get embarrassed. And he said, Elder, please, the whole neighborhood is looking. So I said, he's inside. So I kept on knocking. Finally, the door opened up. And the man said, all right, come on in. <laughs> so we went in. And the guy had no, he, he, he was a bachelor, had no family. Just pulled the wool over this guy's eye. You see what I'm saying? No family. So we sat down, and the man cried for about half an hour. Finally, after he cried, we talked. And by God's grace, he made this decision. He was baptized. Now, I returned back to another church, Wachara, which is not too far away, maybe 20 minutes away, to hold another meeting about a year, two years later. And the man had heard that I was in town. So on Sabbath, he came to see me. I didn't know he was there. But when he came, uh, during the, the fellowship dinner, he came up to me and said, you remember me? Oh, yeah. He's a tall guy. So I said, oh, yes. He said, and there was some other, uh, what they call blokes there, uh, guys there. And he said, I want you blokes to, to listen to this. And so he said, uh, he doesn't know this, but I want him to hear it also. When, when I attended his meetings, he did not know that I had terminal cancer. That my family had abandoned me. That I had no job. And the only consolation I had was my church. And when he preached those messages, he destroyed that too. So I had no family, no job, looking death in the face. And now the only thing that brought me comfort, now he destroys. I did not want to see the guy. But when he came and knocked on my door, I was determined I was not going to open up. But he said he was determined that I was going to open because he kept on banging. And finally, I had no choice but to open up the door, let the whole neighborhood see what was going on. So he said, and I'm so thankful because I was baptized, my cancer disappeared, I got a job, then he picked me up. And he said, and I love you, buddy. <laughs> okay. When people are under conviction, they don't understand what's happening. It's your responsibility. Whose? your responsibility to understand what's going on and to walk that person through the steps in yielding to that conviction, okay? Do you understand what I'm saying? Can I tell you another story? What time is this over? Quarter two. Huh? Quarter two, okay. You want another story? Yes. All right. He was a Pentecostal young pastor who was attending my evangelistic meeting in Roswell, New Mexico. But he was attending it because the year before, I had held a meeting up in Rio Dosa, New Mexico, which is 74 miles one way, up in the mountain. And I had baptized a few young hippies who now were very excited about the Lord. So they were witnessing in the whole town. You know, be, before they were hippies, and they didn't mind what they looked like. Now they were Christians, and they wanted everybody to know what they looked like, you know. So, so they, by this time, they had about uh, 10 young people that they were studying with. And so, when they heard I was going to hold a meeting down in Roswell, they came every single night, 74 miles one way. And sometimes, one day, they showed up with one of these old crank-up trucks, you know, 
their car broke down, and the only thing they had was one of those crank-up pickup trucks. So they put blankets on themselves in the back. There was no windshield in the thing, but they came, it was cold, and they came down in that, in that crank-up truck. Anyway, this Pentecostal pastor was coming with them every single night. But you know what he, wanted, what he was trying to do? He was trying to win them to his church. So he would come with them, and then he would contradict what I was teaching every night. He would show them where I was wrong, or try. Well, what's interesting is that the young people were going along with him because they were anxious to win him, <laughs> while he thought that he was winning them. All right, you see what's going on. So, this particular night, I preach about the grace of God and the Ten Commandments. And I could see the man kind of squirming on his chair. You understand what I'm saying? And I knew that the Spirit of God was working upon him. But when we finished, he, he looked stoic, like nothing moved him, and he left. So, the next night, I'm in the meeting, I start the meeting, I preach, he doesn't show up. All the kids are there, but not him. So after the meeting, I said, where is he? Well, he's across the street. One of the girls that I had baptized from across the street, the church, uh, from the church, uh, was a single mother with two children. Anyway, we would meet in her house right after the meeting, and we would talk and talk and talk and answer questions until midnight. Then we would go back, get up in the morning, go to work, and then they would come back in the meeting. So. He's inside, okay. Next night he does the same thing. Where is he? He's inside, good, okay. Which means then that he is what? He's avoiding, right? He's what? He's avoiding me. So, I go with the group, and this, I decide to sit out on the porch with the group. So I ask the girl of the house, where is he? He's inside, good. So I sat on the porch because I knew that sooner or later he would have to come out. Alright? So, in other words, this is the way that you catch a fish without going after it. But you got him cornered. You understand what I'm saying? And sooner or later he's going to have to come out. Well, at midnight, still not out. All of a sudden, at midnight, I hear a side on the side of the a sound in the side of the house, and I look around to see what's going on, and there's a leg protruding outside the window. Okay. He actually gets, goes outside the window, jumps out of the window into the, into the, uh, the uh, space in between the two houses and takes off running behind the house. Well, what do you think I did? I jump over the banister and after, okay? So I'm, I'm behind him and, and, uh, and there's an alley that leads out to the, to the road, see? And so he's out there running and finally he gets out to the road and starts running between the cars. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking by myself, Lord, I hope the police will show up. <laughs> so I'm running behind him. But I know he's a smoker, so I knew sooner or later he'll have to surrender. See? So, so I gave him enough space, you understand? And finally, he can't run anymore, so I come up to him and said, Alan, how are you doing? Oh, what are you doing here? <laughs> well, that's what people do when they're avoiding you, or think they're avoiding you. So I said, Alan, I said, uh, I know you're thinking you're running from me. I said, but you're not running from me. If it's me, you don't have to worry about me. I said, the reality is, you're running from God. God has spoken to you, and you're having a difficult time surrendering to Him. And I said, I would like to pray for you. So I prayed for him. We walked back, and Alan did not come back. I don't think he had ever been chased by anybody before, let alone a preacher. And so, he never came back. And I thought, man, I scared that guy to death. Well, the reality is that that's what he needed. Tell you why. A year later, I, I left, that was New Mexico, and I went to uh, Oregon. Then from Oregon, I went to Kansas City, Missouri. Two o'clock in the morning, I got a telephone call from somebody. And he says, this is Alan. You remember me? I said, oh, he said, you mind the guy that you chased down in New Mexico. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, Alan. I said, what are you up to? He said, look, Louis, I wanted you to know that I praise God for you. I said, well, why is that? He said, look, when you chased after me, I was determined I was going to outrun you, but I didn't. He said, so, he said, uh, but I'll tell you what happened. I was really struggling, and I said, and you knew it. He said to me, I said, yes, I knew it. 
what was it that you were struggling about? He said, when I was a little boy, the greatest dream I had was to become a minister for God. And now I was a minister. And when you preached that message about the law and grace, I felt convicted that I should keep the law, but it didn't make sense to me. Because I thought if I kept the law, it would mean that I would have to leave the pastorship. And I could not resolve that. How could God call me to ministry and then God call me out of ministry? See? Because if I kept God's commandments, I would no longer be able to be a Pentecostal minister. So he says, I was avoiding you. I didn't want to hear anymore. But he said, you ran after me and that's it. He said, I, I became so convicted after that, that finally I had to decide I got to follow God, even if I have to leave my pastoral dream. And he said, I just want you to know that today I'm a missionary in Mexico for the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Okay. So the guy was convicted, but he was what? Avoiding. I, I, I want you to notice uh, the lady at the well. Notice what happens with the lady at the well. She could deny how much? <coughs> Nothing. But she tried to what? Evade. Evade all mention of a subject so unwelcome. With deep reverence, she said, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Then what? Hoping to what? Silence what? Conviction. She turned to points of religious controversy. There are many times when people will argue with you. But if you see that they're under conviction, don't argue with you. The case is settled already. They're under conviction. But if you argue with them, you bring that to a level of the common. Where now they're arguing with you and you with them. If you sense that they're arguing, they're already under conviction. What you need to do then is don't argue. Just say, listen, God's speaking to you. And I'd like to pray that God will help you, just like God helped me to make my decision. Okay? Do you understand what I'm saying? Because people struggle. Now, the reason why they struggle is because uh, they have this deep <laughs> conviction that they need to do something with what they've heard. They don't know how to deal with it. They don't know how to respond to it. All sorts of things begin to loom up in their minds and they begin to see great mountains of the impossibilities why they cannot do what God is asking them to do. When in reality, they can because they're convicted. And if God brings a conviction, God will also provide a way of escape. What do you say? Amen. Okay? But if you don't understand this, you don't know how to then encourage somebody to yield to that conviction. That girl that I was talking to you, the lady that lived across the street, uh, when I met her, she came to my church because a prophet brought her to my church. Not a true prophet, a self-proclaimed prophet. It was Sabbath morning, I finished preaching, there were two hippies in my congregation, and after the meeting, uh, the, the prophet came to me and said, you got to baptize her. Oh, I just... <laughs> I said, I'd like to get acquainted with her. Well, he said, no, you've got to baptize her. So I looked at her and I said, why do you think you need to get baptized? Well, I see all sorts of spirits and demons in my house. And he told me that if I'm baptized, the spirits and demons will leave. I said, well, I'd like to baptize you, but I can't do it right now. I need to get acquainted with you. Well, when can you do it? I said, well, it can't be the next week because I've got to be away out of town and all that. So they got angry and they left. Well, next Sabbath, I came back to, to town and preached, and they were in congregation again. And after the meeting, they came up to me, and she was upset. She said, you got to baptize me. I said, why is that? Well, he baptized me. It didn't work. <laughs> so, so I said, well, okay. So I said, well, look, I need, I need, we need to study. Whatever it needs, whatever it takes, okay. This girl was, she was a, a heroin addict. She was a microbiotic, she was an astral traveler, and a rebirther. Okay? So, <laughs> so I studied with her. Make a long story short, the prophet abandoned her. Uh, he came in one night to our meeting and he said, it's either him or me. I said, you got it all wrong, James. It's either you or God. That's the choice she has to make. Well, he said, are you coming with me? She said, no. Well, he got angry and left with the other prophet that came with him. Anyway. We baptized that lady. The Lord just changed her life. But 
when uh, he went, she went to her place, he had ransacked the house and stole every money, all the money that she had, so left her uh, without anything. She had two little kids, so we had to then take her into our place to live. And uh, long story short, we finally got us set up in uh, Roswell, and uh, she came to me one day and she said, uh, does God expect me to pay tithe? I said, why? Well, she said, I get money from the government and, and it's only enough to pay my, my uh, uh, utilities and my rent. I don't have any more money. And I felt like saying, no, don't worry about it. But I, I thought, no, I can't do that. If God is bringing her to this point, it's because God is going to make a way of escape for her. So I said to her, look, God wants you to be faithful and God will make a way of escape for you. She said, but pastor, I said, I understand how you feel, but trust God. Be faithful to him, and he'll bless you. She did. She came on Saturday, she said, Pastor, 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 you'll never believe what happened. She got a check from some place that she never anticipated, and she had money for food and all that. That happened all the time. And so that girl, today, by the way, she's a Bible worker up in Maine. The two kids that, that uh, were with her, her daughter now is uh, married to a doctor. She's a teacher at the Adventist School in Toledo, Ohio. The son is a businessman. God just rescued that people, that, that, that family. But they were, she was under conviction. She was what? Under conviction, okay? So when you recognize conviction, then it's up to you to help that person make that decision. Right? Well, it's time for me to stop. And tomorrow, I'm going to finish this up on how you make the question, how you lead the person to a decision, okay? And I'm going to give you some practical demonstrations up in front. All right? Any questions so far? Is it clear? Yes. All right. So when the wind moves, I mean, when people move, the wind is blowing. And when, when the, the wind is blowing, what should you do? Help that person to yield to that conviction. All right? Let's stand together and pray. Our Father, thank you so much for all that you do for us in revealing for us those principles, the dynamics that take place in people who your Spirit of God is trying to bring to the kingdom. We thank you that we can participate and be a helping hand in that process. Bless each one of us. Help us to become more effective. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.